Good morning. We are in a series we began last weekend called Great, Great Faith. Today we're going to talk about great influence. And we all have influence in our lives. Some have more than others that God has granted you. The good thing is we can gain influence. We can actually borrow influence sometimes from other people. And we do that in the church and in different realms. But we all can grow in our influence and we can look at our influence and we can give Christ honor. In Eugene Peterson's copy of the message, he uh, is this Greek scholar that is really, I love the wordsmith that he is and the deep meaning of Greek words as he writes the scriptures, or he just uh, doesn't write the scripture, he doesn't add, but as he puts his twist on it, it's, uh, it's very insightful as you continue to read the word of God, it's a great supplemental. But he says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your youthfulness, you will end up in the garbage. Now, that's a pretty clear picture. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. And God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as city on a hill. If I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand now that i put you there on a hilltop. Now, let your light stand shine. Keep open the house, be generous with your lives, be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 13 and following. In the NIV, just listen as you sit there, I won't make you stand again, but there, according to our writer Matthew, he says it this way, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he continues with that if you want to look there at Matthew 5, 13. I have preached on this section over the years and did a series not long ago called Sermon on the Mountain. Or Sermon, Sermon on the Way. It was on the mountain, but Sermon on the Mountain. And as I think about this today, I'm thinking about when light has that ability that, you know when you leave a building like leaving this room at has theater lights and stuff, and you go from a, or when you come from the bright outside into this room, your eyes do what? Freak. <laughs> Freak out. They adjust. You leave a dark room and you go outside, and at first you have to kind of get your bearing because that light is distinctive, and, and it's kind of tough to walk around. Oh, well, that's the beautiful thing about the, the sun. It puts the light on objects. You begin to see, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, those that walk in the light, they don't stumble. They're able to get around. And yet we live in a very dark world, says Scripture. In the light of Christ literally fills us and lights up a dark world by the influence that you and I have. Without influence, it seems that sin is the ruler, and sin tends to rule over our life, and sin is dominant, and sin seems to get honor for itself, and Satan is honored in some crazy kind of way, and Christ is not magnified. But when we choose to receive the gospel and be people of the light, the light then fills us and is reflective in the world. And the dark world sees a distinctive difference. And that's one of the greatest things I hear about. The difference that Christ has made in your life. When I reflect back over my journey with Jesus, I'm humbled by that beginning that has no end until I stand into his presence and then I shall know him in part and not in full. How many of you look forward to the day when you stand before Christ, robed in the righteousness of Christ, and you shall see him as he is? Do you get excited about that church? 
you're like, are you getting a trip up? I am. And we're not going to have to pay airfare or whatever. It's going to be one of those celestial rides, another story for another day. But the believer influences the unbeliever, says Scripture. And I think about my story about how believers that I saw that their lives were different, believers that they claim by name that I saw no difference in their life and mine seem to be serious hypocrisy, not that I'm trying to pick on anybody because I think we all have hypocrisy at some level that God calls us to repent of. But God's salt here is to retard corruption in his light, is to reveal the truth of his grace and the truth of the gospel. Here, it's just, I think about our influence, that we cannot influence the world when we're worldly ourselves. Write that down. You cannot influence the life of others or the world when you're living like the world. Jesus said, I've called you out that I might send you back in to call others out of this worldly life. He said, I I am the light. You're the light of the world. And as my light dwells in you, people see a distinct difference. We did a whole Bible study, a whole small group upstairs in the last few months about distinctiveness. It's a great study by a guy named Michael Kelly. We learned so much as we looked at this. And yet, when I think about this salt, the uh, salt, when it loses its saltiness, it slowly decays. It, and yet, most salt in the ancient world, the time that we read of Scripture, it derived from salt marshes or the like. And the very evaporation of the salt water in the Dead Sea was contaminated by the gemson and the minerals in the water. And I remember being in the, in, in the, in, in the, in the Dead Sea in 99, and it was absolutely unbelievable, the, the pillars of salt and, and the, you know, not a lot of life there but you were extremely buoyant. That was kind of interesting. And the residue that just seemed to kind of be on your body, you could not wait to go get a shower and to wash off that. And yet, when you have salt water, do you take salt water and go pour it on your nice lawn? Do you go take salt water and pour it on your plants? If you do, we have a botany class this afternoon I'd like to talk to you about. I know why your plants are not living. I mean, Jesus just says you throw it out, and it's to be trampled by men. It's, there's no purpose. So think about that for a minute. What's the influence that you and I have? Is it because we're not salty, because we're not light? Therefore, our impact has been diminished. It's small. It's really overwhelming for the side of the enemy. And here's the good news of gospel. We can turn this morning and have a change in Jesus Christ. This past week, I met with a bunch of pastors from across the southeast. We do a thing called Foxhole. We've been doing it for about six or seven years. And, and I was just, just reminded of these guys. And I, and I see that the difference that, they, that they're, they're making in, in their churches. And we came together for the purpose to, to push and to stir one another and to have a difference in our life, to, to see what, what is our distinctive qualities in our lives and in our corporate expressions of church and to making an impact. I love when he says, if you're salt, then season life. If you're light, then shine. Somewhere on your notes today about influence, just write the, in big caps, shine. Shine, Jesus, shine. Uh, Kendrick's, uh, I think his last name was Kendrick's. It was a song back in the late 80s or 90s, Shine, Jesus, Shine. We used to sing it more in traditional churches, and I got to sing it in England. and It was kind of a, a fun song, but, but I love the heart of that. Jesus, come. And fill us with your light. Let the light of Christ shine. 
recognize you and me that our distinctiveness makes a difference. Just write the word M-A-D. I do that all the time for abbreviation of make a difference. Ron Hutchcraft used to say, go mad. I go, go mad. I like that. Go mad. Go make a difference. Oh, that, I was trying to think of why I was telling you about my story. Man, going, it just hit me. I, 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 was, I was coming back through where I graduated college through my alma mater and Troy's built some new buildings and and I was just uh, walking around on campus and I went over and Robert knows I think Robert lived there at one time and I did and it was called Alumni Hall and you fast forward a few de decades and they called it Slumni Hall and they have all these new buildings on campus and they finally tore it down and they've erected this phenomenal facility and it's still called Alumni Hall but it is quite gorgeous hundreds of millions of dollars and I went out in the parking lot and I stood there and I reflected on a January winter night, 1978, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And Christ had radically changed my life and made me new. And I, I could almost smell the parking lot. I could see the old buildings. And I looked up and I saw this fabulous looking new building. And I kind of thought about, man, that's what Christ did for me. He took the old and he made something new one night when I placed my faith in Christ. Has Christ done that for you? When you put your faith in a Savior and you begin to follow after Christ, you become a new person. We talk about that a lot around here because it makes a difference. Look at here at the top. What is influence? It's right there in the notes. It's sometimes defined as the ability to produce an effect without an apparent force or direct authority. And fill this in. Leadership is influence. I've heard Dr. John Maxwell say this hundreds and hundreds of times. I have, have almost all his books. My wife has been so kind to buy those for me over the years. I've attended many seminars and conferences with Dr. Maxwell. He's had a profound impact on the body of Christ. He's known as a leadership giant in secular circles as well as the Christian circles. But when, I remember when he first said that, leadership is influence. And some of you today go, but pastor, I'm not a leader, but leadership is influence. And you say, well, I don't lead this. Do you lead your home? Do you lead your business? Do you lead your dog? No, I didn't mean to say that. Do you, do you lead anything? You're, well, you know, I lead a few people. I lead this. Then your leadership has influence. First Peter 2.12, I put it right here. Circle this on your worship guide today. Look at these simple words. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Circle the word honorable behavior. When you and I live distinct, influential lives, Jesus Christ is honored. And that's the most important thing that I can ever talk to you about Sunday after Sunday is your life bringing honor to Jesus is your life bringing honor to your family because of the witness that you have. And then, as I was thinking through this influence thing the last few weeks, I thought, well, we need leadership in every realm, but I said, I, I need to talk about a couple. So here's the first one. Be a person of influence in your home. In your home. I've often thought about the home is where people know you best. I remember after I radically came to faith in Jesus, I began to share with every person that I could come in contact with. But then I remembered that I needed to share with those that I love most, my interior family. And I began to share the hope with them. And I always found that sharing with my family was harder than sharing with any other group of people because they knew me 
best. <laughs> they knew my warts. They knew my patterns. And they loved me. And I began to share. And, and then you fast forward. Then Don and I got married. And this summer we'll celebrate lots of years together. And it's fun. And I think about, we started a home. And we wanted to have influence in our home. And we did, and we have, and we fight for that every day, just like you fight for influence in your home. You're saying, well, Keith, I don't have influence in my home. Well, maybe today, being a person of influence, the home, um, it, it's just that special place. You know where it starts? It starts when you say, I do. You stand on the altar, or you go to the justice of the peace or something, and you get married, and you go, I do. That's when your influence starts, good or bad, but influence starts at the altar. And then you have these little munchkins, these little kids. And they come to your world, and then you're like, I don't have a manual for this either. Yeah, you do. Got a great manual, God's Word. But it's still, there's a lot that God left for us to figure out and us to find parenting courses and mentors and learn from others. But I think, just some points I thought, be confident in your role as a parent. Don't be prideful. Don't be haughty, but seek the Lord and say, God, how can I impact others? God, how can I be a trustworthy person in my home? Because you break the trust of those in your home. It's hard to rebuild, but it's, it's possible through Christ. And then I think about be a cheerleader. I love a person of influence. They're a cheerleader. They cheer people on to become all they can be. I've had cheerleaders in my life. I've had cheerleaders in my home. I hope and pray that that's who I've been to my girls. That's what Don and I have purposed to be. We wanted to cheerlead them in the church of the living Christ. I've been a pastor, but one of my favorite titles is a cheerleader. I try to cheer you on in the great race of faith that you might run, that one day you might touch the tape and God says, welcome home. Not, I didn't think you were going to make it. I'm surprised you made it. Turn to the person next to you and go, God is not surprised. Just turn and tell him that. God's not surprised. God called you out of that mess to follow him. Man, what a great God. I, I get excited. One of the guys that I met with last year, he's a new one to our foxhole. And this year he was back. His name's Will, Will Blanchard. And he's a pastor in Arkansas. And I've had the most amazing story about this young man. We were talking and great mind for Christ, vibrant witness. And he says, guys, would y'all pray for me? My grandmother is dying. She hasn't eaten for a week. She's really fading, about to go from this world. She's 97 years old, and my grandfather lived to be 104. I said, here, touch me. I want some of your genes in Jesus' name. And then he told me, he goes, my grandmother was a career missionary with the International Mission Board for 40 years. I went, wow. He said, she came back with my grandfather to Chattanooga, and she's influenced hundreds and thousands of lives for Jesus Christ. As soon as I got home, the next day I got a text from my friend, and Will said, I think it's Mama Bell. Mama Bell's home with Jesus. She's finished the race well. I go, man, I, I want to know this woman, you know, in her life. But here's the other thing about being a person of influence. You have to be a good listener. You have to be a good learner. You remember when you first learned that about being a disciple? What is a disciple? A disciple of Jesus Christ is always a learner. That's why I'm always trying to study and always trying to learn and always trying to catch podcasts and I'm reading books and I'm going to things because I want to learn. I have an insatiable desire that Jesus Christ has put in my heart to be a learner of the most high kingdom. Do you have that kind of desire today, friend? You're saying, well, that sounds like work. That sounds like cost. That sounds like sacrifice. It is. 
but it's worth it. In your given field of expertise, don't you try to do everything you can in that field? You do. If you want to be good at your whatever you do. Well, in the, in the, in the gospel, like, Lord, we run after you. I heard a story, or I read a story about a guy that just really intrigued me. Have you ever heard of a guy named Al Capone? Yeah. Now, Al Capone's not my influencer. He's not the one that I, I want to give credit to. But there was a guy that I never heard of. His name was Artful Eddie. Didn't, isn't that a great name? And maybe you don't recognize him yet, but you will. Eddie was a product of the gangster life in the Roaring Twenties, and he ran Capone's dog tracks and under behind the scene kind of stuff. And uh, he he seemed to be uh, taking money, and he had this big life of wealth and prestige and honor or whatever. But eventually, Artful Eddie turned himself in to the officials, and he squealed on Al Capone. Now, at first, you're going, Artful Eddie is not a real smart guy, is he? But listen, because he turned in Al Capone, he, he suffered the fate against Capone and his enemies, and they blasted him. They, they took his life. But you know why he turned him in? Artful Eddie's wife had a son. She had a baby. And he said... I want my little boy to have a decent father. And his father is a gangster. His father is part of the mob. His father is bad news. And he goes, and I want to desperately clear my family's name as bad as I've been. So I want to have a clean slate. So as he had his life given up, this little boy came up. Listen to this little boy from Artful Eddie. I thought this is awesome. His name was Butch. I kind of like Butch. I've got a brother named Butch. And he was a kid with potential. He was appointed to Annapolis. He was commissioned as a Navy pilot. He became a record-fighting pilot in the Pacific during World War II. By the time he came home, he was wearing the Congressional Medal of Honor around his neck. He was such a hero that his hometown named their airport after him. And I bet all of you, if you fly or flown much, you've been there. It's called Chicago O'Hare. Because Artful Eddie decided that he wanted his influence, or he wanted to have influence for the next generation, and boy, did his son become somebody. And you think, wow, that's kind of a cool story. But here's, here's the thing. I could talk about this all day. Influence in the home. And I just invite you to step it up in that area or continue to do the things you're doing that are bringing honor to Christ and they're shaping your family. I was reading a thing by John MacArthur, and he says this. He says, I say this often, parents are partly to blame for their wayward children's rebellion. And it's been my observation over the years that parents are generally more to blame for wayward kids than society, peers, or any other influences. Parents tend to blame. They want verbal assurance that they're in no way to blame, but someone else is. Now listen, some of you are like, Pastor, I was liking this message that you just threw me under the bus. But here's what I want you and me to do. Let's take responsibility for our parenting. You see, Blake is a pretty gifted student pastor. And you have coaches and teachers and people of influence in your life. But Blake's job, and when I was a student pastor, was never to take the place of parents and grandparents. And the church said, they are to be a supplement. They are to be the light of Christ. And so it's parents' responsibility to influence and I know in my own life, Don and I chose that we would influence the next generation for Christ. And now we're seeing that repeated generation after generation. And I say, glory to God. 
But, you know, it has to start somewhere. So where is it with you? Taking responsibility, coming alongside your kids, coming alongside each other as parents, uh, ensuring, ensuring that no other influence takes precedence over your kids. The peers of their, their lives will take them if you let them. They'll corrupt them. The Bible says bad company does what? Corrupts character. And some of you are like, I was the corrupter. Hey, let me get you to think about something while you're really feeling good about yourself. If you're older, and we'll say 25 or up, and do you remember when you were growing up and there were certain homes that they, uh, you know, they didn't invite you over much? Just think about it for a minute. There might be a reason. Might be they were trying to have a gospel witness and they did invite you over. Maybe they didn't come to your home much because they were worried about the influence that you would have over their kids. And I think about the people that have had tremendous impact on my life. But I think about the people today in 2017 that are influencing me for Jesus, that they're sharp. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And they cause me and they push me to love Jesus more. That's the church. That's what it ought to be. But see, if we're not careful, we abdicate our role of influence as parents. And I'm going to talk about grandparents in a minute. Of course, i got to do that. But, hey, just don't blow this thing. Just don't throw it away. Say, Lord, make me a person of influence that, God, by your grace, help me to shape the character of our kids because our kids are catching stuff more than being taught. I think you teach the gospel continually in your home. But more than even your words, I think, is your example and your influence. And kids catch that. And the church said, and you're saying, Pastor, I'm a horrible example. Repent today. Become an example today. I can't do anything about yesterday. That's like unscrambling eggs. You know, sometimes you do eggs. Has anybody been able to unscramble them, put them back in the shell and back in the refrigerator? You're saying, that is foolishness. Well, you can't unscramble your past. But you can look to Christ for your future. So I just, I, I, look at the second one. I got to get there. Be a person of influence at work. And I, I did a whole thing on work not long ago, but I think marketplace Christianity where the light of Christ gathers in this room and we should be burning brightly. But when we uh, come out of here, the light dispels out of this room into our homes, into the workplace, into our schools. And I think, God, that's where the light of Christ, somehow it gets brighter in here because we come together and we illuminate more light. But then we take our light and we, as the scripture says, we don't hide it under a bushel. We don't hide it under a basket. We put it on a lampstand that it might throw forth light. If I came to your house tonight about 9 o'clock, I'm not, and if I showed up and your lamp was on the floor, I'd go, what happened? Did somebody break in? I mean, you'd just be like, man, we don't have lamps on the floor, Pastor. We put lamps on the coffee tables. We put the lamps up high because we want to shine. Well, that's the way our witness is. Sometimes we're like throwing it to the floor and Christ says, stand it up, push it up. Understand that you have influence. Learn to follow Christ here. Take genuine interest in other people. We've got to learn together not to dominate and domineer other people and say, help us to be humble. Help us to not be so critical all the time. Help us to be patient. How many of you love that thing about being patient? Let's just keep moving, okay? That's way too convicting, okay? No. Listen to this. I read this great article by William Peel and Walt Larimore about uh, significant keys to spiritual influence at work. And, and I really like this. And it, it talks about how many times we're tempted to throw that in. But go ahead and fill this out with me. 
Matter of fact, I just realized I'm ahead of myself. Be a person of influence in your home. Be a person at work. Put on this third one real quick. Be a person of influence in my recreation, but I'll come back there. Be a person of influence in your recreation, in your play. Hey, Rob, don't you like that? Be a person of influence when you're driving that Jeep for the glory of Christ. I love it, man. Uh, Rob brought his friend today that I met him, and, and they've got Jeeps, and he posts on Facebook, and it's cool, and Blake's got a Jeep out here, and it used to be kind of green and white, and now it's kind of like red, and it's got mud. And, man, I'm just thinking, all these guys, man, and I'm thinking, wherever we're, and then we're out playing golf. Man, my friend over there, Mark, he loves to play golf, and other people talk about they want to play golf, and, and, and you do all these different things. Wherever, do you think God's for recreation? Does anybody think God's for playing? Do you know a few centuries ago, before the Industrial Revolution, there were a lot of camps that taught, play is sinful. I started doing this research on it, and I went, <laughs> But the truth was, back in the days before, uh, before Jesus, and even after they had the great games, and they had these really nice family-oriented goal games where the gladiators would come out and animals would rip you. <laughs> Not very family-friendly, Okay. But then you hit this area, and they said, man, leisure is a waste of time. No, it's not. Leisure is good for the body. But in our leisure, honor Christ. Amen? Right out there going, man, I like this pastor. He talked about be a person of influence when I recreate. Yeah, but to the honor of Christ. You're saying, I, you know, I used to be a big athlete. <laughs> now I'm a big athlete. It's not, not very athletic. <laughs> that was not funny. But, but I was thinking about over the years, I've had more people. I remember one time I had a weightlifting belt that I lifted a lot of weights, and I had my weightlifting belt in my, in, my, in my softball bag. And some of my guys that I was playing with, they started exercising some ungodly attitudes, and I was embarrassed. And I thought, I'm fixing to get hit, or this is going to be fun. I took my weight belt out of my bag. I said, I'm fixing to whip a whole bunch of y'all. Y'all were embarrassing me in the name of Christ. We had several repent. Now, I don't know what I would have done had they charged me. But I've watched more people on fields of contest. I have some people that go, Pastor, I cannot play softball with a church softball team. I go, why? They go, because I start cussing and I throw out profanities and I'm rude and I'm noxious. And I go, and you'd be on first touch with Robert Young. I mean, some people just know. We had this guy who used to go to church here. And he was a university baseball star, and he would not play softball with us. He says, when I try to hold my tongue, but when I get on a ball field, I'm so stinking competitive, I lose it, and I'm ugly. He said, therefore, I will come and I will cheer. He was probably the best ball player we, we've had in the church. But he knew that somehow this thing was not going to be going good for him. Look at this thing. Spiritual influence requires competence. I like that. People are often surprised with that proposition sometimes. But competence is, is a good thing. In Colossians, right now, Colossians 3.23, it says, To work with all your heart, Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Proverbs 22.29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. God has so many principles in the Word of God. You can begin to look at scriptures. You can begin to look at the book of Proverbs. And God would say, honor me in your recreation, but honor me in your work. Uh, be, uh, be competent in what you do. Look at the next one. Um, he, he would say to us here, and I think this is important, it requires competence. And then consider the impact that we're doing in that. But look at our character, okay? Look at our character. here. This, this is critical. Now, let me go back. I, I just remember this great story i got to tell you. Competence. 
How many believe Jesus was a carpenter? It's not a trick question. How many believe Jesus were a was a carpenter? He was, okay. Now, think about this for a moment. What if Jesus had said, I'm going to build shoddy tables to the glory of my Father. And you bought a, a table from King Jesus, and that table fell apart. What do you think would have happened to the ministry of Jesus? You just said, well, yeah, you talk about the kingdom, kingdom but, man, you build horrible tables. Well, here, here's the point. Our work should match the excellent name of Jesus. At least we're headed in that direction, and we're trying to bring honor to him. But look at this. Spiritual influence requires character. Now, I don't want to get political, and I'm not. But if I just look at people over the years in political campaigns, and uh, just two that, I, that I'll just mention real quick would be President Richard Nixon and President Bill Clinton. They, they, they did some things in their administration that was less than honoring. Would it, would it, could everybody agree on that? You're like, yeah, you, you didn't even make a political statement. That was just truth. And see here, it, it requires character. I've always believed that character matters to God. Do y'all believe that? It does. Sometimes in the political scene, they go, oh, character doesn't really matter. Just get the job done. It does. Character reflects the heart of man, who we are. And God, help us to have that character that brings honor to you. And then look at this next one. Spiritual influence requires consideration. That um, I, I treat people well. That you, have you ever heard that uh, cliche? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you Man, I've believed that for decades. People don't care if you're super knowledgeable, if you don't give a flying rip about them. They want to know you love, and you're interested in them, and you consider them better than yourself. And you come alongside, and you have tremendous impact. Remember, that's what I'm talking about today, having great influence. My prayer is that today, somehow God's going to take some of these words. He's going to take Scripture. He's going to take what we've gathered on this Sunday morning to do to make you greater influence agents for Jesus Christ. I just think the world's looking for example, and I think I'm looking at some awesome examples in this room. And I think we can move out in the power of Christ because we consider him uh, nothing, we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, the scripture says, we consider others better than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, you want to address? Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4, just read that section. And it's a great section to talk about our work ethic and how much it matters. And so in that, we have to turn the mirror on ourselves and look and go, is the presence of Christ being manifested? Is the presence of Christ very visible through my words, through my actions, through my deeds, through, through this witness that I purpose to have? you got a witness. You might have a poor witness, but you got a witness. Or you might have a great witness. Last night I was hearing about somebody that just has this had a life-altering testimony in Jesus Christ and how God's changed their life and how they're chasing Christ. And, and as I was being told about this person, I said, I want to meet them. He said, that's what Christians ought to do for us. You ought to hear about somebody's faith and go, can I have an audience with them? They are like Christ. You know when you stand in the presence of somebody that's holy. They're not perfect, but they're chasing Christ. It's attractive, isn't it, church? Man, it, it's just a winsome witness, and it makes a difference for Christ. So communication here. We, we, we build trust, but also we have to learn to listen, as I talked about a minute ago. We, we begin to listen. It's kind of the lifeblood of that situation. We listen to other people, and we listen well. Now, the fact is, did you know every one of y'all are ministers? Everybody in this room is a minister. You're like, 
No, I ain't either. Yeah, you are. You're a minister of reconciliation. You're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a representative of the royal court of heaven. When you leave here and you name the name of Jesus, you're a minister. You're, you're a little preacher. You can go preach what I tell you here. You can go preach what you heard in your small group, what Tullus just told you, what Dave Garth just told you in your group. Eric told you this. And you go, man, this, I'm going to be a little preacher. You just heard it on the radio. You're a little preacher. But then people are looking. What's backing that up? Is there character? Is there consideration? Is there a powerful witness? And then look at this. This is critical. Consideration. Spiritual influence requires wise communication. Did I just communicate clearly? Theologian D. Elton Trueblood concluded that people who declare they can witness to their faith purely by their deeds are insufferably self-righteous. No one is that good. The scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But when you do that, do that with gentleness and respect. See, we're all called to be witnesses, warriors for Christ. But we do it not with arrogance, not with pride. We do it humbly and we do it with great gentleness of heart. And it says, for those that ask us, you know, aggressive evangelists always go, you always, you go and you be mad and you share. Huh, I've been around some of those people. They're like, you're all going to hell. And you're like, man, dude, take a chill pill. Like, we probably are, but could you say it a little different? I remember sometimes somebody said, you're going to hell. When they said they're going to hell, they had tears flowing down their cheek. Now, that'll preach. Because they cared, and they wanted to see that person know Christ, and they wanted that person to have heaven. So it, the Bible says to everyone who asks, when people ask you for the distinct difference, the distinct influence you have, that's an open door to go, this is why. Jesus is doing this in my heart today. This is what he's done in the past, but here's what he's doing today. And he's a mighty savior. Remember that great song we sing, Mighty to Save? He's that kind of savior. It's fitting always to talk about your faith, but fit it in the context of when the Holy Spirit leads you to open your mouth. Sometimes you just need to keep it shut. Sometimes you need to open it wide. I, 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 maybe I, I've been praying about doing a series on evangelism. I haven't done one of those around here, just pure out evangelism in a while. So maybe that'll be coming between now and the summer, and we'll talk about that. But let's keep moving on about appropriately talking, having courage, having communication. Look at the spiritual influence. Spiritual influence requires courage. And uh, I'm going to talk about that in this series, great courage. But I'm just saying, if we really want to have influence, we've got to be courageous people. Joshua says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So we'll talk about this in depth in this series about being courageous people of the Most High God. And then I want to close with this one. If somebody comes to the piano, I want you to think about this. I had to say this. I was thinking about family and work and uh, I was thinking about recreation and and you know what? I was doing some research, and I started getting in this whole thing about recreation. And this is the honest truth. I read about recreation, and every time I, and then I said, you know what? I'm going to start doing some Googling. I got all these books, and I'm reading. I said, I'm going to research this. Every time I started hitting it, it started coming up. Recreational marijuana use. I went, oh, you know what? We're not going to talk about recreational marijuana use. 
I'm totally opposed, and I'm going. And like I went through this thing, and it's like I had more articles. I could have come in here and said, hey, weed for Jesus. But no, no, that is not it. It was just unbelievable, recreation. But then, but then I thought about, i got to talk about this one. Influence is grandparents. And some of you are like, oh, you're a grandparent. I knew you were going to work that in there. You dang right I am. How do you influence your grandchildren? Because our world is sinking morally and spiritually into the depravity of sin every day. I read a thing that said 70 million people right now in America are grandparents. I went, Donna, we're two of the 70 million. I thought, man, that's pretty awesome. But uh, a lot of people are trying to desensitize the role of grandparents, and I think grandparents are needed. How many of you think that grandparents are needed? Amen. And... Uh, I didn't know my grandparents extremely well, and uh, man, I'm so glad that my grandkids are. Like this morning, if you could have been here early, little man, McLean was on stage with a guitar being influenced by his dad to lead in the praise of Jesus. It was awesome. Then he played football with Pop as we ran around the worship center. And then Ramsey was my little helper, and we ran all around the building helping and stuff. I thought, but you know what? The bottom line is this. You have influence over these little ones and over these teenagers and over these adults, and God just wants us to use it. So I, I, I write down this thought. Grandparents are to be influencers for the next generation. So grandparents, I'm speaking to you now. Man, make sure your witness is strong and intact because your witness. And then I thought about how can we influence our grandchildren? Pray. It's one of the biggest roles I do for my grandkids. I pray for them continually. That's, that's my responsibility. Share with them the great truths of Christ that they might pass it from generation to generation. So I love sharing with them, and it'll get stronger as they get older. And then I thought, this is probably the most important. Model Jesus. Just model Jesus to these little ones. Yesterday, one of my little ones told me this, or today. Pop, I love my church. I wanted to do a video of her right then. I went, man, that's awesome. You go around to people and say, I love my Jesus. I love my church. Influence. I hope it speaks to you today. Hey, I, I could go for another hour, but Jeff Weir's over there going, you better not or I'm leaving. Thank you, Jeff. You are leaving anyway. Okay, here we go. Here it is. I got a lot more material. Got to go. Uh, becoming a person of influence, Dr. Maxwell. Hey, great read. Just encourage you. You know, if you're into influence, maybe it'll speak to you in a little different way than I did. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray, and then you're going to go get the little ankle biters, I mean, the little kids, and you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to go influence somebody for Christ. And the church said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, it is so fun on Sunday mornings to worship and sing and honor and exalt the name of Jesus. And Lord, today we've talked about this subject called influence. And God, outside of you, apart from you, we can do nothing Teach us to abide in you, Jesus. And through abiding, may we be fruitful. May we influence our homes, our work, our recreation, our friends. Yes, our enemies for Christ. God, grant people in this room, young and old, impact for the king. And Lord, if there's somebody today that goes, Pastor, I want to be influential, but I need Christ. Would you cry out to that wonderful name, the name of Jesus? Would you cry out to a Savior that loves you, that died for you, that shed his blood for you, and ask him to be your Savior and Lord? Would you call on him today in faith, turning from sin and say, Christ, come. I turn from sin. I need you. 
come into my life and redeem me, save me today. If anybody did that, man, I encourage you to grab one of the elders, grab me today. Tell somebody, I started a walk with Jesus. God, send us forth, impactful, till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.